It's go time. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon here with Heath Graham today and Pat has become the party animal for the group so he's off to another function tonight so we won't have his uh, voice to grace this podcast but we do have his picks and we'll get to those later in the show. Not a lot of big news that came out of the CFL this week but some interesting news that came out. Hamilton trades for an offensive lineman. Saskatchewan loses a prime receiver, and Nathan Rourke goes into rarefied air as a Canadian quarterback. Let's start with Nathan Rourke. 2-0 this season so far for the BC Lions. A record-breaking night in game one for completion percentage, and a record-breaking night in game number two for passing yards by a Canadian quarterback. What a start for Nathan Rourke this season. He got commentary from Russ Jackson, who of course in Canada is known as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but just happens to be a Canadian as well. Russ Jackson thought that Nathan Rourke has done a stellar job. He clearly is in support of him. He's got a long way to go to get to Russ Jackson's status. Let's face it, Russ Jackson won three Grey Cups, went five times. He has, and, and that is definitely the high watermark for Canadian quarterbacks in the CFL, but you can't take away that in two starts, Nathan Rourke has done something above and beyond what Russ Jackson accomplished, and that's his yardage and his completion percentage. I said on last week's show that game number two was going to be the defining moment for me as far as Nathan Rourke and a starter. Was week one a fluke? And he has proven that it certainly was not. If you think back to last year and BC's final game of the season against the Elks, BC has absolutely annihilated their opponents in successive games going back to that. So that's three in a row that they've won by 30-plus. Nathan Rourke was the quarterback in all three games. He was, and I have to give a shout-out to the BC Lions offensive line, much improved this year from where they were a season ago as well. We saw Michael Riley for years just getting sacked and knocked down and hit and beat up game after game after game. Nathan Rourke felt some pressure last season in his starts and his playing time as well. And this year, that offensive line is giving him a bit more room, a bit more protection and time. And he's really showing how capable he is back there. Shout out to Kelly Bates for getting the fundamentals down with that line and improving it. But let's also give some kudos to somebody that rarely gets any, and that's Jordan Maximic. He's the guy that calls the plays for this BC Lions offense. And he has structured that offense so that Rourke can get the ball out quickly. There's a lot of short passes in his repertoire. And it's only as the game moves on and the Lions start to build on that lead that other options become available. And then he goes after those as well. There's not a lot to critique in Nathan Rourke's game so far in these two starts this season. One thing I think he needs to keep an eye on is those passes across the middle and exposing receivers. He has a tendency to float the ball on those passes and can leave guys exposed to getting hit. He's very accurate and has a very strong arm as well. And that's, if I can say anything negative about a guy who's put up the points and the stats that he has in the first two games, I guess that's it. But something that with that receiving core, I'm sure he can continue to improve on. Yeah, unfortunately for the Lions, they lose Brian Burnham with uh, fractured ribs. 
you look at what they did with him out of the lineup for the rest of the game, and they seemed to cope quite well. Uh, Lucky Whitehead also had a bit of a sore ankle, but he seems to be okay. Injuries could be the great leveler in a lot of ways because if the Lions, if they are for real and they are this strong, that the rest of the league is going to have to take notice finally. They, they've scored 103 points in their first two games. That ties what Toronto did back in 1991, and that was the highest two-game total in CFL history. They are just dominating by halftime, and teams then go into this all out. We got to get after them, throwing it deep, and that's where their defense starts to feast. I've said before, and I'll say again, I, I believe that the BC Lions have the best receiving core in the league right now. Hopefully, by Brian Burnham is quick to recover. Fractured ribs are something that generally takes some time to heal, but you can play through after a week or two. He's going to be tender, but I don't think it's going to keep him on the sidelines very long, especially when you've got a team looking this good. He's going to be eager to get back out there. The record that was set by the Argonauts was Matt Dunnigan and Ricky Foggy. They were the quarterbacks of note. That that team that year, of course, they went on to win the Grey Cup. Are the BC Lions on that same track? It, they're trending that way for sure. I would love to see it. I would love to see a Canadian quarterback continue to put up these offensive numbers and shatter some records. He's got the weapons. It's just a matter of keeping consistent and putting it all together. It, it would, it's going to be fun to watch. And I predicted at the beginning of the season that BC was going to finish 4-14. and 14. They are well on their way to shattering my predictions of, of how they're going to go. BC is right there with Calgary and Winnipeg in that Western division. Of course, they haven't met yet. That is coming. And that's where you start to sort of sort everybody out, as they say, the wheat from the chaff here on the prairies. Now, speaking of injuries, we touched on it with Brian Burnham, but uh, Shaq Evans now is gone from the Rough Riders with a broken ankle. It's just one thing after another for Evans in the last couple of years with that ankle. That's a tough loss, and we've already seen Duke Williams with some issues early on in the season. So it's it's going to put Saskatchewan in a tough place, but they do have some younger receivers in Mitchell Picton and Keon Schaefer-Baker, that, which is going to be good to see. There are some exciting guys. They've had some ups and downs so far in their careers, but this is a chance for them to step up and prove that they belong. One receiver that probably wishes that everything that happened in Winnipeg was, was a nightmare would be Stephen Dunbar, who unfortunately had two tip balls be intercepted, and one, I'm going to coin it here, was a tip six, where the receiver deflects the ball, it's picked off by the defender, and they take it back to the house. It's not really an interception, I don't think, when the receiver has his hands on the ball and loses it to the defender. I love having a new definition for that because it's always bothered me that that is going to get pinned on Dane Evans or the quarterback of note when those situations happen. All he did was hit the receiver in the hands and now it gets marked up as an interception against Dane Evans. And unfortunately for that Tiger Cats offense, it's also a defensive touchdown. The fifth of Willie Jefferson's career so far for a defensive lineman, that's quite a stat as well. I don't think I know of any defensive ends that have had more than one in a career. The fact that Willie Jefferson has five is just almost mind-boggling. 
he is uh, quite the specimen and a different type of defensive lineman. And he proves it with his pass knockdowns and the ability to, to catch the ball. You don't see a lot of sure-handed defensive linemen out there. So the, the matter, the, the fact that he's capable of, of grabbing that ball and athletic enough to get it to the house time. And again, that speaks volumes to what a star he is. He is one person, I think, that without Willie Jefferson, what is the Winnipeg defense and do they win a second Grey Cup? It was a real tough pick to to choose the defensive player of the year for Winnipeg. I, I said that there was four players on that team that could have easily been the nominee and you wouldn't really second guess any of them. Adam Big Hill was the one that was chosen last year. Willie Jefferson in 2019 also was honored with that award. And again, those two are stalwarts on that Winnipeg defense. We talk about BC putting up offensive numbers. Winnipeg's defense is right back to where they were in 2021 as well. I don't think we should be so scared that if a defender is so outstanding that they are the MOP of the league. A fair commentary on how well that player has played, not necessarily on the state of the league. I agree. And it seems the trend the majority of the time is to give it to the quarterback. Even the MOP in a Grey Cup game, it seems 80, 85% of the time it goes to the, the winning quarterback. And you look at last year's Grey Cup game. I don't believe that Zach Kolaris was the most outstanding player in that game by any means. He led the offense to victory, but he wasn't, in in my eyes, the most outstanding player. And even as far as the league award last year, you can't argue with his win-loss record since taking over as the starting quarterback in Winnipeg, but he certainly didn't put up gaudy offensive numbers. And I don't want to knock Zach Kolaris. I think he's a great quarterback. I just think that we can maybe expand beyond the quarterback of note. The odd time if a running back has a phenomenal year, they might get that nod as well. Maybe a receiver, and that's kind of about it. Nathan Rourke could be in the running already, but of course we've got 16 more games to go. Already, though, on the television side, Nathan Rourke is drawing eyeballs. The BC Lions game against Toronto was the highest-rated game of the weekend. Typically, that's a spot reserved for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. This does not include RDS's numbers, so we don't know if RDS and the Saskatchewan-Montreal game would have garnered even more viewers than what shows here. Approaching a half a million people watching that Lions-Argonauts game. Now, it wasn't a showcase game by any stretch, but it did showcase that Lions team, especially that offense, and their star quarterback. The numbers for television, though they were low week one, have steadily gone up. And you can tell that there's an interest again brewing. Storylines like Rourke make this league exciting. They do. And as I said earlier, I just, I hope he keeps rolling on it. I would like to see more attention from the Canadian sports media about Nathan Rourke. We, we do see snippets of it here and there, but... TSN, who has all of the games on, should be leading Sports Center with stories about Nathan Rourke and what he's been doing so far, how he is comparable to other great CFL quarterbacks, other great Canadian quarterbacks. What he's doing is, is phenomenal and should be talked about more than it is. 
second down. It took about 15 seconds, and the opening game of the week was over as the Montreal Alouettes then rolled to a 37-13 win over the Saskatchewan Roughriders. The first loss of the season for the Roughriders, the first win for the season for the Alouettes. First time this season an Eastern team has beaten a Western team. It's also the first time that an Eastern team had hosted a Western team. So we'll see how all that plays out. The touchdown by Chandler Worthy, 88 yards on the opening play. This game is going to start a bit of a quarterback controversy in Montreal if there wasn't one brewing already. Vernon Adams Jr. was unavailable due to COVID-19. Trevor Harris came in 16 for 22 262 yards and a touchdown. He looked solid leading that offense, spread the ball around to many, many receivers. Eight different receivers caught a pass for Montreal in that game. And as you said, scoring a touchdown on that opening play, Montreal got some energy and just kept rolling with it. It almost felt like the Rough Riders couldn't get across midfield in the first half. They just struggled mightily. Cody Fajardo, 17 to 28. You think, well, not bad, but 191 yards, not great. Two interceptions. He didn't look settled back there. Mason Fine gets some playing time, 7 of 9, 83 yards, a touchdown and an interception for the Rough Riders. If Saskatchewan is going to get out of their offensive funk, which I think they're starting to get into, Something's going to have to change with either the running game or the deep threat game. And with Shaq Evans out, the deep threat game may not be available. So the running game has to get better. The Riders in Montreal rushed for 54 yards. Tough night all around. And I was very impressed with the Montreal Alouettes defense in this game. As you said, the the Rough Riders struggled to get over midfield early in the game. Sorry, not only was it the kickoff return for the touchdown, but that defense was just all over Cody Fajardo. Didn't give him much time to do his thing. And we saw the end result. Montreal dominated in this game. Eight quarterback sacks by the Alouettes. Going into that game, Saskatchewan had had more sacks than the Eastern Division. That changed immediately with the Alouettes' dominance. Kayon Julian Grant, two receptions, but a 70-yard touchdown was one of them. And Tyson Philpot really making his mark as a rook, a 66-yard reception. Big nights for both of them. The Alouettes were able to move the ball to whomever they wanted on the receiving core. Saw Mitchell Pickton targeted three times, and he caught all three passes for 37 yards. And Keon Schaefer-Baker... Targeted 10 times, 8 receptions, 53 yards. So these are the keys moving forward for the Rough Riders. Again, not as much of a deep threat. So that's something that they're going to have to really work towards in replacing Shaq Evans while he's out recovering from injury. The other part of the game that the Rough Riders have to clean up, 11 penalties. You just can't keep giving up plays with penalties. Game 2, the Hamilton Tiger Cats in their rematch in Winnipeg to take on the Blue Bombers. And Winnipeg outlasted them, I think is a fair comment, 26-12. to 12. The Ticats were in this game until the fourth quarter. They were. Once again, Willie Jefferson with an interception return for a touchdown. 
An interesting thing I've noticed so far this season in Winnipeg's three games, both games against the Ottawa Red Blacks, the offense put up 19 points. This game, you take away Willie Jefferson's return for a touchdown, Winnipeg put up 19 points. 19 points doesn't generally win a lot of games in the CFL, but when you've got a a defense that's averaging giving up less than two touchdowns a game, that's your that's your chance, and that's where Winnipeg is shining. Once again, only giving up 12 points on defense. It's that side of the ball that seems to be winning these games for Winnipeg. Zach Kolaris goes for over 300 yards in passing, 302 to be exact, on 21 of 32. The last time that Kolaris went over 300 yards passing was October the 1st of 2019. And this was probably one of the most lackluster 300-yard passing games that you will see. I love Zach Kolaris. Like I said, I don't want to continue. I don't, don't want to sound like I'm ragging on the guy, but it just didn't seem like there was a lot of flash in that Winnipeg offense. Nick Dembski was having a great game, 96 yards receiving on six catches before he went down with injury. Greg Ellingson has proven to be a great pickup for Winnipeg so far this season. Just steadily consistent. Again, about 70 yards seems to be his average so far this season. But nothing flashy. That offense moved the ball when they needed to to do so. And Mark Leggio may be a little bit of a surprise in the improvement in his kicking game went three for three on field goals. The running game still isn't there for the Blue Bombers. They still not really putting up numbers that they enjoyed when they had Andrew Harris. No, they didn't. And Dane Evans, as we mentioned, 25 for 42, 237 yards, two interceptions. I hate seeing those hung on him because he hit Dunbar in the hands and the ball ended up going to Winnipeg on, on two of those passes. Four sacks by the Thai Cats. Hamilton, though, 0-3 and clearly in trouble, although... It may not be panic time for the Tiger Cats. Losing two in a row to the Blue Bombers is no sin, but I think that begins to wear on you that you're losing to the same team over and over and over again, that something's got to give. We're into week four of the season, and there's some winless teams out there that that are going to have to eventually get off of that goose egg in the win column and, and start making a move towards the playoffs here. And Hamilton is one of those teams that we predicted would be once again in the running in the East Division and so far have not looked great. They've made some moves to address what they see as their biggest problem, that's offensive line. Colin Kelly picked up from the Edmonton Elks. Ironically, they're going to be facing the Elks this week. If Hamilton is going to turn it around, Edmonton would be a great place to start catching them on a short week. We'll see what happens. Well, there's that's two winless teams going head-to-head in this one. So unless it ends in a rare CFL tie. Saturday. Probably the most intriguing of the two games in the sense of competitive balance, the Elks and the Stampeders. Now, I say that because they're provincial rivals. And last year, Edmonton did go into Calgary and beat the Stampeders on Labor Day. Edmonton started well, got to an early lead. But then the Stampeders, as they've done game after game after game, they chipped away, chipped away, and then in the second half got the lead and won the game. 30-23 to for Calgary at home. Good crowd in attendance. 
Interesting game. Nick Arbuckle, 20 of 31 for 226. Uh, Bo Levi Mitchell, 21 of 28 for the elusive 321 yards. As you mentioned, the Stampeders came back in the second half. They were trailing 13 to 10 at halftime. And that's two weeks in a row that they have made very impressive second half runs to put a game away. If there's a game I may be looking forward to later on this year, it might be Calgary and Winnipeg, where you've got that second half offense of the Calgary Stampeders against that second half and especially fourth quarter defense of Winnipeg. That could be something really entertaining to watch. That's a game that's going to be circled on my calendar. BC Winnipeg is another one coming up soon. That's going to be really fascinating. And I don't know how Levi Mitchell does this over and over and over again, but he gets a brand new receiving core, it seems every year. And within a few weeks, he finds the synchronicity that he needs to make it happen with them, and they go off. Malik Henry had a career night. Six catches for 173 yards and a touchdown. How many people had him as a throwaway in their fantasy? Stamps are, are managing to do it any way possible. In that second half, they it's almost like they're the great sleeping bear that's awakening, and they're just now starting to get energized and they just come after you and come after you and come after you. Unfortunately for me, Malik Henry was the one Calgary receiver I did not have in fantasy this week. I wish I did. He would have changed my third place finish into a first place for sure. On the Edmonton side of the ball, Manny Arsenault, seven catches, 100 yards, and a return to the end zone for the first time in a long time for Manny. It was great to see. It seemed as though that... Uh... Nick Arbuckle was getting more comfortable back there, that he was starting to pick apart defenses a little bit better, understanding what he needed to do. 290 yards of offense for Edmonton. The question, again, with the Elks is the defense. 437 yards of offense by the Stampeders. That's another big day on the stat sheet for the opposing team. This has to be eating at the defensive-minded Chris Jones. We know... He's known as a defensive specialist to give up those kinds of points, those kinds of yards, and to lose a second half lead is not something that's going to sit lightly with the coach. You can't imagine that he's going to be very happy. Now he's again gone through that roster and released more players since that game. I haven't tracked it yet, but I think I will for the next podcast. I'm going to find out how many players were there at the end of the 2021 season and how many players are there now, because I'm sure that starting lineup doesn't even resemble what was there in BC on the final night for the Elks last year. I read somewhere earlier this week that there are two players on that Edmonton defense that have started all three games in the same position so far this season. So As you mentioned, Chris Jones is already shaking things up, not just on releasing players, but even where they line up on that defensive side of the ball. You can't continuously change and expect improvement. At some point, you've got to believe in the people you have and coach them up. There's a tendency to over-tweak things and move too many pieces around. You're right, they, they need some continuity, but my... Best guess is that Jones is looking for that spark. He's looking for somebody that he's moved around to all of a sudden be the shining star that he can latch onto and try to lead the rest of that defense. And right now, they don't seem to have that person. 
That person is playing for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers defensive end, wearing number five, Mr. Willie Jefferson, and there's only one of him. The final game of the evening, the one that drew the most attention on television, the BC Lions hosted the Toronto Argonauts. McLeod Bethel Thompson, when he was pulled from the game, was fuming. Nathan Rourke sets a record for Canadian quarterbacks with 436 yards of passing. And the Lions roar to a 44-3 win. McLeod Bethel Thompson may have been fuming when he got pulled from that game, but show me the stats that sh- that showed that he needed to be still in there. 15 for 21, 71% completion, good numbers, 178 yards, one interception. So not really playing lights out football. And you look at what BC did on offense at least 10 points scored in every quarter. They put up 14 in the fourth quarter. They just fired once again on all cylinders. Nathan Rourke and that receiving core could do no wrong. Four quarterback sacks for the Lions, 583 yards of offense. You're not going to win against those numbers usually if you're the Toronto Argonauts. You've got to do something to slow them down. And Toronto on defense didn't find a way to do that either. How much longer do you think Ryan Dinwiddie is going to continue to put McLeod Bethel Thompson out there as the starting quarterback? Is he seeing enough yet from Chad Kelly that it might be time to make a change there? I don't think you're going to see Chad Kelly this week unless he's coming in because McLeod Bethel Thompson has a really brutal night. Two of four against BC for 26 yards isn't really a great resume that you can look at. He had an interception in those four passes. Do the Argonauts feel confident in either quarterback at this point? That might be it. I, I don't know if there is a solid starting quarterback in that in that lineup right now. We mentioned earlier Brian Burnham got injured, two catches for 34 yards, but other receivers in that receiving core stepped up. Dominic Rimes had one of his best nights of his career eight catches 143 yards and two touchdowns we mentioned the consistency of lucky whitehead nine receptions 87 yards javon katoy had another great night the list of bc receivers that had great nights just continues to build as nathan work goes out there and performs his magic he's in rarefied air as we noted right off the top we'll see if it continues it's hard to maintain that level of excellence at some point, you've got to have an off night, but maybe not. We mentioned the improvement on the offensive line for BC. They only gave up one sack and rushing the ball. They had a, over 150 yards rushing combined with everybody. Again, that's been a weak point for BC's offense for some time. And obviously, they recognized that, took it to heart in this offseason, made some improvements there. And that is what is helping to spark this offense. David Mackey put in a lot of good work for the Lions, 16 carries for 90 yards. This all after James Butler was knocked out of the game early. Mackey took over and kept the uh, the beat going, as it were. It was unfortunate to see him get knocked out of that game, especially after what he did in their first game of the season. But they didn't really seem to miss much of a step with David Mackey going in there 5.6 yard average 
and a touchdown. It was a great night for him. Hopefully Butler comes back healthy and continues to build on what they've got going so far. Third down. If I asked you who's leading the league in passing yards, who would you come back with? Nathan Rourke. Dane Evans. <laughs> Rourke, if you can believe this, is sixth in total yards. I guess one less start than most of the teams so far this season. You're exactly right. A big week in the CFL. It could be an interesting week in the CFL as we get into week four. So let's start with Thursday. And we've got a team coming off a bye, the Ottawa Red Blacks, hosting the, can I say, powerful BC Lions? The surprising BC Lions? This one's a really tough game for me. We saw the Red Blacks give Winnipeg all they could handle in two games. Jeremiah Mazzoli looked great, putting up a lot of passing yards. Unfortunately for them, just not a lot of points so far. Ottawa's defense kept Winnipeg in check in those two games as well. At some point, as I said earlier, these teams that are sitting with zero wins are going to have to put some wins up. And this one might be the one for me. I think given that Ottawa is playing at home and what we've seen from them so far, this is the game that Nathan Rourke is going to cool off a little bit and the Red Blacks are going to pull out the win. I don't see that Ottawa has enough yet to win this football game. BC can cover and likely will cover. The Lions traditionally play well in Ottawa as well. Now, it is a short week for the Lions, and this is going to help the Red Blacks because BC played Saturday night. Now it is Thursday night that they're playing again. We saw what that did to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders when they traveled east. When you don't have practice time, you don't have time to rest up, it does impact. That does mitigate BC's opportunity to win, but I don't think it exacerbates it. The Lions, I trust, will not only win, but cover. Not only are they playing on a short week, they're playing against a team that is coming off a bye. So Ottawa has had lots of time to rest, recover, practice, and come up with a game plan. On Friday, the Tiger Cats and the Elks go at it at uh, the Donut in Hamilton. Hamilton favored by, at least at this point, minus 6.5. This one is probably the toughest game of the week to call. We're seeing two teams sitting with 0-3 records. Neither team has looked absolutely phenomenal in any of their games thus far. I think it's going to be closer than a 6.5 point spread. But Hamilton, with the home field advantage... Dane Evans putting up those impressive passing yardage numbers, as you mentioned earlier. This is the one where Hamilton gets their first win of the season. Given all the changes in Edmonton, I'm not satisfied that Jones has really come up with his combination yet. Shai Ross is now in British Columbia. Means they've got to come up with another receiver. Ticats, even at the... 6.5 favorites, I'm going to say they cover at home. Saturday night, 
the Rough Riders in the rematch against the Montreal Alouettes. Now, you mentioned earlier in the show, Vernon Adams Jr. is back practicing with the team. Alouettes took it to the Rough Riders last time they played. This is the real question game for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Are they the Grey Cup contender or are they Midland? If Montreal can pull off a victory in Regina, this is going to put the Rough Riders in a pretty tough spot already in that West Division, staring up at BC, Winnipeg, and Calgary. This should be a bounce-back game for Cody Fajardo and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Montreal is going to start having some question marks about quarterback. If I was Kahari Jones, I would probably hand the ball back to Trevor Harris, given what he did last week against Saskatchewan. I believe it's it's his start um, and, and his opportunity to lead the team until he struggles enough that you feel confident that Vernon Adams Jr. is the better option. There was a lot of shock for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders last game being without center Dan Clark. I think they've had enough time now to get over that, come up with a, a game plan on that offensive line. This is Saskatchewan's game to win. However, it will be a close one. I think this one comes down to a Brett Lothar last second field goal for the win. So Saskatchewan to win and not cover the spread. This one I had a lot of angst over, but I'm going to go with Saskatchewan and the cover because it is in Mosaic Stadium. And the Rough Riders typically play far better at home than they do on the road. The Alouettes, if Trevor Harris gets as hot as what he was against the Riders, then look out. The Alouettes could pull the upset. And I wouldn't put it past them to be able to do that. Think about this. The Alouettes have lost two football games by a field goal and a missed field goal. And a second win will go a long way in in solidifying their standing in that East Division. We've we've got 10 games in for Eastern teams and two wins so far. So you string together back-to-back wins and all of a sudden you are the, the team to beat in that East Division. Monday night, a rare Monday contest the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are in Toronto at BMO Field to take on the Argonauts the Argonauts who looked terrible in British Columbia but that's a fate that happens to a lot of Eastern teams especially when they play it's 10 o'clock Eastern by the time you finish you're playing past midnight Winnipeg has got to prove to me that that offense can be better than what it is even though Calaris threw for over 300 yards as you said it was an unspectacular 300 yards. Winnipeg lost in Toronto last year to Nick Arbuckle in the Argonauts. Blue Bombers can go in and win and cover in Toronto. I do not think that Toronto's offense is there yet. I will agree with you on this one. At this point, given what Zach Caleros has done as the starting quarterback with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, it's pretty tough to pick against them. Their first loss of the season last year was in Toronto. And really, their only significant loss, you look at a couple of late season when they start getting ready for the playoffs. I think that might be a little bit of a a chip on Winnipeg's shoulder to go in there and not have the same fate they suffered early last season and turn this thing around. McLeod Bethel-Thompson hasn't put up stellar numbers. 
And against a defense like Winnipeg, that's going to give him fits all night. Winnipeg goes into Toronto, wins this one, and covers the spread. To be fair to Pat, we should put out his picks for the week. He sent me a huge list of rationales. So I'll just try to condense it as best I can to be fair to him. He's got BC covering, Edmonton winning against the spread, Saskatchewan not covering, and Winnipeg not covering. Hard-hitting analysis there from Pat. Thanks, thanks for your contributions, Pat. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again at the Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.